Hey, good morning, FCF. Um, wonderful to be with you this Sunday morning, and we're continuing in a series of messages called Acing the Tests, and it's built around this truth, this revelation that we have that our God, our King, our Creator, that He takes us through these tests or tryings, trials in life, and they are meant for good purposes, good intentions. They're not a test like, will we pass or fail? They're not a test like, does God wonder what's inside of us? No, they are meant to stir, motivate, uh, create capacities, catalyze things inside of us so that God's ultimate good intentions for us can be realized. Now, I'm gonna start this morning by sharing with you an assumption I have, and I know the old saying about what assumptions uh, are all about. Nevertheless, I'm going to share with you an assumption, an assumption that I have, and it's an assumption that's been based on uh, decades of observation, so I, I hope it's a little bit more than an assumption. My assumption is this. Every human being, you included, me included, every human being wants and actually expects three different things. We don't think about this necessarily real, real clearly, but we want these and we expect these. We may not know how, but we want and expect, first of all, to reach the highest level of human development possible. We want it, we expect it, we just kind of think it's gonna happen. Number two, I think that every human being wants and expects to reach our full potential, whatever that potential may be. It's gonna be different for each of us. We're not sure how that's gonna happen, but we wanna reach our full uh, potential and we expect somehow things are gonna happen and fall into place, it's, it's, going to just, it's just gonna work out. The third thing that I assume and I've observed through decades is that we want and we expect our lives to have significant positive impact. Once again, we want it and we expect it, we just think it's somehow gonna work out, it's gonna happen. We don't necessarily have a plan and that gets to the other assumption I have. My assumption and my observation is that even though every human being wants and expects to reach the highest levels of human development, to reach our full potential, whatever that may be, and to have a life of positive, significant impact, very few, if any, of us have a plan to see that through. The final observation is this, and this is a little bit on the pessimistic side. My observation, and it's kind of an assumption, but it's more of a pretty accurate observation is this that even though we all want and expect these three things, highest human development, reach our full potential, whatever it may be, have lives of positive, significant impact, even though we all want it and expect it, very few human beings actually achieve it. Now why, why, why is this so? If universally we all want this, and if universally we all kind of expect it, we just think it's gonna be an automatic, it's going to happen, why is it that the evidence is not many ever really experienced the full heights of human development or reached their full potential, whatever that may be, or end up with lives that have significant positive impact. Why are there so few? Now the answer to this, and there is an answer, and this is the very good news, our God who created us in his own image, he is here today, he wants to speak to us afresh about this so that you and I, each of us, doesn't matter where we've been in life, it doesn't matter what stage of life we're in, doesn't matter what our age, we can still have those three 
things that each human wants. We can have the highest human development, we can reach our full potential, and we can have lives of significant positive impact if, if we pass the purity test. We're dealing today with something that I'm calling the purity test. Now when it comes to purity, our minds usually always go right away to moral purity and that's critical in scripture because you know we just do destruction to ourselves and others when we're not morally pure. But frankly, that's not what the purity test is really about. The purity test is something very different and we find it all through scripture. And I'm gonna let scripture introduce it. You're gonna, you're gonna hear me read lots of scripture today. We're gonna to let God by his spirit speak to us through his word. So I wanna start by reading to you from Proverbs chapter 17, verse three. It says, in the same way that gold and silver are refined by fire, the Lord purifies your heart by the tests and trials of life. The purity test is about the purity of my heart, getting my heart purified. And this verse states categorically that God purifies my heart, your heart, our hearts, just like gold or silver is purified by fire. Well, we're purified by trials, testings that God allows and brings into our life. So that's number one principle to understand. Now, let's look into what, what is, what is that the, the root of this concept, this purity concept. Let me read you something from Jesus from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 and 37. A man comes to Jesus questioning him, teacher, we would hear it in the Jewish context, he's saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher, it says in our English, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, now follow this, you're going to hear the word all three times. Jesus said to him, the man's question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God, notice that's a command, love the Lord your God with all, all number one, your heart, with all your soul, there's all number two, and with all your mind. So here Jesus says the most important commandment of all, the one that's kind of comprehensive, is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All, that's a big word. That means every part. That means total allegiance, total focus. Okay, let me go on. Let me make this point a little more clear from Scripture. I'm going to read to you from the book of Numbers, chapter 32, verse 11. And this is talking about the generation that God was trying to take into the promised land, but they didn't trust Him, and hence they ended up wandering around in the wilderness. Listen to God's description of them. He says, Not one of the men who went up from Egypt from 20 years old and above will see the land that I promised to give to their ancestors, that is, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why, Lord? Why won't they see the land? Because... None of them followed me, listen to this word, wholeheartedly. None of them, none of them followed me wholeheartedly, except, now he's got an exception, verse 12. Jephunneh's son, Caleb, he says, Caleb was different than the rest. He followed me fully. And Nun's son, whose name is Joshua, they, they wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Now get this, the, the mass generation did not, uh, go into the promised land because they were not wholehearted in their trust and devotion to God. But Caleb and Joshua did trust God, were devoted to Him with all their heart, and God ends up bringing them into the land after the 40 years of wandering. Listen to this one from 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. This is talking about King Solomon. It says, When Solomon became old, 
his wives shifted his allegiance to other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted. Listen to it again. Wholeheartedly devoted. He was not anymore wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, the Lord his God as his father David had been. Notice again the emphasis. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, wholeheartedly devoted. To give you a contrast, this from Jeremiah 24, verse 7, talking about that generation that was overrun by the Babylonians, but God would bring them back in 70 years. The Lord says, He says, I will give them the desire to acknowledge that I am the Lord, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, for they will wholeheartedly return to me, wholeheartedly return to me. Do you see the emphasis? When we're talking about this purity test, it is a purity test about wholehearted devotion, utter, entire devotion to God, and it's commanded. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So you might be thinking, well, how, how can you command love? You know, you either have love or you don't. How can you command it? And, and what is this all about? I mean, why is it that God demands this wholehearted devotion? Why does He insist on purifying our hearts to try to bring us to this wholehearted devotion by uh, instituting trials or allowing trials and testings, hardships, challenges, problems in our lives? Uh, what, what, is that, what is that about? Why is He doing this? And so that's where we want to start. Why would the Lord... Why would the Lord give this test and bring this kind of testing into our lives? I want to give you three reasons. The first reason is very different than what we think. A, a cursory reading of these passages, it makes it sound like, by the way, and I've heard numerous preachers and I've read numerous books through my lifetime that echo this, they make it sound like this. Well, look, since the Lord is the creator of everything, since He owns the whole universe and He owns our next breath and our next, uh, you know, heartbeat, brain wave, we owe Him utmost respect. We owe Him utter allegiance. He's the most powerful person in the universe. He controls everything and He demands this kind of respect. He is not going to be second to anyone or anything. He sort of, it's sort of implied because he's the most powerful, he sort of has this ego need. We never quite go that far. These preachers and teachers never go that far, but that's, that's their point. They're hammering people. You owe God this. You owe God this. And it's as though God had some kind of a need for all of us to be cowering or favoring him supremely. Now here's, here's the truth, folks. Here is the truth. This purity test, this wholehearted devotion test, it is a divine expedient. And what I mean is this. It's a divine necessity. God doesn't need my wholehearted devotion. He doesn't need your wholehearted devotion. I need wholehearted devotion to Him. You need wholehearted devotion to Him. He cannot release the blessings into our life that He intends for us to experience. He cannot unleash the developmental forces, the new capacity creating forces into my life, into your life, unless I have the uh, vital connection to Him that I was created for. This is a divine necessity. God doesn't demand love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because He needs it. It's because I need it. Listen to this verse, and you've heard me share this verse many a time. 
from the book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. This is the Phillips translation, and it does a really beautiful job. It says, Now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Notice that, the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began, for it was through Him that everything was made. Clearly, this is teaching Christ is the creator of everything, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. Through Him, and listen to this next part, for Him also were created power and dominion, ownership and authority. In fact, every single thing was created through and for Him. He is both the first principle and the upholding principle of the whole scheme of creation. You see, it's not that God needs me to love Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and to be wholeheartedly devoted. It's that I need it. I was made by Christ. I was made for Christ. I am a finite being that was meant to live in an intimate, trusting relationship with an infinite being. I am constantly needing to receive from this infinite being. He is infinite. His supply never ends. I am vulnerable and needy. And because I need Him, and I need Him to give to me things that no one else in the universe can, no other human being can give to me the deepest cravings and needs of my soul. Only my infinite Creator can satisfy and meet and bring alive in me the things that need to be alive. Therefore, I need to love God, to love God as He's revealed Himself in Christ with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I need wholehearted devotion to Him for me. He's my lifeline. I'll never be fully human and never fully alive without it. And that kind of brings me to the second thing. I need this wholehearted devotion, this, this purity of heart devotion to Christ because that's the secret of dynamic development. We started out by saying there's some assumptions. The assumption is that every human wants and expects that we're going to reach the heights of human development that is possible. We don't know how, but we expect it and want it. We're going to reach our full potential. We don't know how, but we want it and we expect it. We're going to, we're going to have lives of positive impact once again, but how? Here's the truth. You and I cannot, we cannot develop in the way that God created us to develop. I mean, it's all there. The spiritual DNA is there, but it will not be catalyzed. It will not come alive. There are capacities that will remain dormant within us unless we enter into this pure-hearted, wholehearted, devoted relationship, trusting relationship with Christ our Creator, and it is a relationship in which He has so won our admiration that we now, by authentic passion, want to be like Him. We want to, we, we've seen the beauty of His character, seen the beauty of His personhood, and now I don't really care what anybody else is doing. I want to be like Christ. That's what needs to captivate our hearts, that individual captivation of our hearts. Listen to this verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, our goal, and this is talking to, to those that have put their trust in Christ, our goal is to become a full-grown man or a full-grown person. What is that like? To look just like Christ and have all His perfection. I'm not going to develop dynamically. I'm not going to get the full extent of human development that God intended for me that I'm capable of unless I'm in pursuit of Christ my Creator, pursuit of His character, unless I've seen the beauty of His ways and know that's the only kind of life that can fill eternity and bring peace and safety and unity and joy to each and every being in the universe. So 
I'm the one that needs this wholehearted devotion. God doesn't need it except that His love knows that His hands are tied until I am wholeheartedly with a pure devotion given myself to Him. The next thing it brings is this. It brings destiny fulfillment. You, you see, we all want to reach our full potential. We all want to have lives of significant positive impact. But how do we reach that destiny? The way, the only way that you and I can reach our God-given destiny, and you may have never heard this before, you, just like me, we have a God-intended unique destiny. Let, let me read you a verse and then I'll go back to this concept. It's from the book of Ephesians once again. I'm reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is the TPT or the Passion Version. It says, We have become His poetry a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny, listen to that word, that will fulfill the destiny He has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the Anointed One. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Now here's the thing. When you hear the word destiny, sometimes we think, well, this is... This is going to happen whether I care or want it or not. That's not the way destiny is used in Scripture. Destiny is used in Scripture. It's as I desire to cooperate with God. It's as I enter into this relationship with Christ that becomes central, that becomes the, the number one supreme focus. I give Him wholehearted devotion and allegiance. It's then that these things start to get stirred in me and catalyzed and brought alive. And it's then that I start moving down this path of destiny to do these unique, this unique body of good deeds that God has equipped me for. You are equipped to do a unique body of good deeds that I'm not equipped for. I'm equipped to do some that you're not. We each have to find our God-given destiny. But that can't happen. You gotta hear me, hear me carefully. I will not reach my full level of human development. I will not reach my full potential as a human being. I will not fulfill my God-given destiny until, until and unless I am wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. And I can't fake that, folks, and neither can you. And you won't reach your full potential and your destiny and your human development uh, you know, cycle at the highest and a life of significant impact unless you too pass this purity test. It's the secret. It's the key. So why does God give us this test? He gives it to us because it's only by taking us through these testings, these trials, that He can bring alive in us these capacities that from all eternity He is intended to bring alive and to develop in us so that we can have that life that we, we've always wanted but that we never really make a plan for and we're not exactly sure how it's going to be brought about. I remember when uh, I was a kid, I lived a lot of my life with my grandparents. Uh, I, I guess it was kind of split, maybe about six years with them and about six years with my mom. And then I lived my first six years with my great-grandparents. At any rate, my grandfather was uh, quite a colorful character. He, he literally never made a legal dollar in his life. Um, during uh, Prohibition, he ran liquor and was actually shot. Man, he was a gangster. The rest of his life, he was a bookie. He took illegal bets. and uh, Colorful character. One time, literally, when I was seven years old, I was sitting in the back seat of a car, my grandfather on one side, this other man on the other side, and my grandfather reached across me and proceeded to knock this man out. He, he, he was a colorful character. But one of the things my grandfather used to say to me, kind of stuck in my mind, was this. He said, 
when he would be describing somebody, and he had all these little sayings and slogans, he, he was a character. He said, yeah, he's a jack of all trades, but he's a master of none. Jack of all trades, master of none. L let, me, let me tell you where I'm trying to go with this. Imagine this. Imagine your car has transmission problems. You know that, that you have serious transmission problems. So you pull into a garage and you start speaking to the mechanic and you ask him, you know, gee, I have a transmission problem. I know that's heavy duty work, complicated. Can, can you fix it? And the guy says, well, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I can fix it for you. He says, but, but before we get started on anything, you need to know uh, I'm just here one day a week and, and I'm, I'm just, I just kind of do car repair stuff as a hobby. Um, I really have a computer job that I do regularly, but I just love to get my tools out. So this mechanic that owns the place, the real mechanic, he lets me come in one day a week. Now I can get on your transmission if you want, or you can wait for the real mechanic. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your transmission? You know the answer like I know the answer. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the mechanic, the real mechanic. I don't want the amateur guy. I don't want the jack of all trades. I want the master mechanic. You and I are equipped by God to be single in our devotion to Christ first. And when we are single and wholehearted in our devotion to Christ, to His will, His word, His ways, His kingdom, His work, then every other aspect of our life gets treated far better and we start down that path where we reach, we start reaching those highest levels of human development. We start moving toward fulfilling and discovering fulfilling that potential we have. We start moving down that path toward having lives of positive, significant impact that we've always expected, we've always wanted, but we've never really known how to bring it about. So this brings us to the second and the last part of this message. How does the Lord give this test? In other words, how, how does He, what is this trial, this testing that's going to purify my heart, that's going to bring me to wholehearted devotion, what form does it take, typically, that we have modeled in Scripture? And we have one passage of Scripture that gives an extraordinary picture of both sides of this cycle. Now I'm, I'm going to describe this cycle to you and then I'll tell the story from Scripture. God's methodology, His cycle, the, the kinds of trials, in other words, that He used, the kinds of testings, they take on two forms. The first form is what I'm going to call satiation. You say, that's a weird word, Randy. I'm not sure I even know what that means. Satiation means this, that I get all that I want. I might get more than I want. I just wonder if some of you have ever uh, had a favorite food and you ate it one time until it literally was coming out your eyeballs and maybe you never wanted to eat it again for months. Satiation is having everything you want to the fullest possible extent. God's, one of God's methods in bringing us through these heart purifying trials, bringing us from uh, not wholehearted devotion to wholehearted devotion is giving us what we want. I know that sounds crazy. He gives us what we want but He gives us what we want until we discover we don't want what we get. Let me repeat it. He gives us what we want, and it's not Him, it's other things. He gives us what we want until we discover we don't want what we get or what we end up with. So satiation is the first way that God brings us through this heart purifying trial to bring us from not being wholehearted to wholehearted in our devotion to Christ and the Word of God, the Kingdom of God. The second one is just the opposite. 
satiation is first, but then there's deprivation. He strips us down. He deprives us of things. He brings us to that place of brokenness and vulnerability and being needy and dependent and wondering if we're going to make it, if we're, if we're going to survive. Now, each of these conditions, listen carefully, each of these conditions, both satiation and deprivation, end up bringing us to the same place, and that's desperation. We're desperate for God. We're desperate for what only He can bring. We're desperate for relief. We're desperate for a new hope. We're desperate for a new way. Now, there's one portion of Scripture that you have all this demonstrated. It's in the Gospel of Luke. I'm not going to turn you there, but I'm just going to tell you the story. But it's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11 through 18. And it's a story that most of you are familiar with. It's the parable of, it's usually called the parable of the prodigal son. And let me just tell you how the story goes. This son goes... <laughs> has the audacity to go to his dad and say, Dad, I want my inheritance before you die. I want it now. I don't want to wait around until you die. That's too long for me. And the father, knowing that the son is full of no good, full of rascality, he still says, okay, son, if that's what you want, you can have it. So the father gives him this massive fortune. The story goes on that the son, he goes off and he parties his brains out. He lives wildly. He's, he's just spending crazy. He's doing all the things that he shouldn't be doing. And then he finally ends up broke. And he's so broken, he's so abandoned, he has to take a job on a pig farm. Now, mind you, Jews shouldn't have anything to do with pigs. That's a whole different story. but. He's working on a pig farm, and the scripture goes on to say that, that he was so hungry, he was so broke, he was so destitute, that he started really admiring the food that the pigs were eating, and he was tempted to start eating the pig slop. And then he starts thinking to himself, wait a minute, wait a minute, the scripture says he came to his senses, what am I doing? He said, even the, the servants at my father's house live better and eat better than this, I'm going to go home to my father and say, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, but, but can I at least be a, a working hand? Now, I want you to look at the cycle. First came satiation. The father said, okay, you want your inheritance? You're going to have it. You can have everything you want. You can have it to the extent you want. You can, you can do it your way. The book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 29, gives this exact same cycle. One of the ways that God brings us or tries to bring us to wholehearted devotion is, first of all, letting us have our way, giving us what we want. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 29, you see three cycles where it says, God gave them over. He just lets us go. He gives us what we want. He gives us so much of what we want until we can't stand it anymore in hopes that it will bring us back to our senses. The prodigal son, he first has satiation. He gets it all, but it doesn't do him the good that he hoped it would. Then he experiences deprivation. He's broke, he's hungry, he's looking at pig food and it's looking real good to him. And then he gets desperate. Satiation, deprivation, and then desperation. Thank God the desperation brings him to his senses and he returns to his father wish I could say that's the way this always goes. But even though God brings these trials, these testings into our life in hopes of bringing our hearts into a healthy condition, a purified condition, a wholehearted, devoted condition, it doesn't always work out that way. And here's where you and I have to do kind of a checkup. Is it, is it possible that God has been taking you through some of these cycles or me and perhaps we didn't recognize it. Maybe he was taking us through satiation. He was giving us everything we wanted, uh, giving us bucket loads of it, more of it than we could stand. 
And then we started getting jaded by it. And maybe though, here's the problem, maybe like the nation of Israel, even though God was taking us through this cycle, trying to purify our hearts, we didn't even recognize it. Then maybe we went through, or maybe we are going through the deprivation cycle. Man, the life is thin and, and things are lean and mean and you're wondering if you're gonna make it. And, but maybe still we're not recognizing this as a divinely engineered process not to do us harm, but to do us good, to purify our hearts, to get us to that place of not half-hearted devotion, but wholehearted devotion. It's really interesting in Scripture. When you look at the, the record of the kings of Israel and Judah, it'll often say that such and such a king ruled, but he didn't serve the Lord with all of his heart. He was not wholeheartedly devoted. You read the book of Revelation when the Lord Jesus is talking to the, the Christians in the church of Laodicea. He says, I have something against you. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. He said, you're lukewarm. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, Jesus says, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says this to a church, a group of people that were identifying as his followers, but in fact, were not living as his followers. So, so God always wants to bring us to that place of normalcy, which is wholehearted devotion. If you're human, you're never going to be fully human and fully alive until you're wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, to the will of God, the work of God. And that's where God is always trying to purify our hearts and bring us to. So that brings us then to this next principle. And this is the key. This is the secret to seeing all those things that we said, to seeing, it, seeing our lives reach the full heights of human development, to, to experience our full potential, to have a life of significant impact. I'm going to read you a portion of Scripture now from the Gospel of Mark. And it's Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. And it's the parable of the sower where Jesus is likening the Word of God to seed that gets scattered around and He gives the reactions of people to their reception of that seed. And he talks about this one recipient group that it says that they were kind of like recipients that they received the seed, the good word of God, but, but they had soil that was polluted. It, it was contaminated with thorns and weeds. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 4 verse 19. He says, but they, the ones with the thorny soil, uh, but they allow the cares of this life Listen to these items really quickly. They allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desire for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. But the seed sown on good soil represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, some 60, even 100 times more than what was sown. In other words, they reach full human development. They fulfill their God-given potential and destiny. They live lives of significant impact. But the first group of people, they don't. They never reach full human development that God intended. They never fulfill their uh, their, their, their potential. They never realize it. They never reach it. They never they never live lives of significant positive impact. Why? Let me read it to you again. Because they allow the cares of this life, that's just your everyday worries and responsibilities, it starts absorbing their attention. They're not focused. The cares of this life and the seduction of wealth, it doesn't even mean that they get wealthy. They're, they're, just, they're just pulled toward it. The cares of this life, the seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things can be innocuous things, but they're things, they occupy us, they divide our hearts, they pollute our hearts. We're not wholehearted.
to other things that crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. I started off by saying in this message that I had some assumptions and some observations and my assumptions and observations tragically are this, that even though every human starts out expecting and wanting to reach the highest levels of human development, to reach their full potential, to live lives of significant impact, the truth be told, and I don't mean this to be mean or negative, I see very few instances of that happening, but it doesn't have to be that way. More importantly, the Spirit of God is speaking to each and every one of us today and saying you can still reach everything that God created you to reach. It has to come though in one way. There's only one possible way. There is no second way. There's no third way. I either become, you either become purified in heart, a wholehearted, fully devoted follower of Jesus. I either give myself in totality to Him, His Word, His will, His ways, His destiny, His kingdom, His work, or I get distracted, polluted, my heart becomes impure, I become out of focus, and I lose any hope of reaching the heights of human development, fulfilling my potential, or having a life of significant impact. Let, let me close with an illustration that I hope will help. Um, consider two sources of light. They're both useful, but they're just different. Let's consider a flashlight. Uh, you know, flashlight can be really handy if the power goes out and you're trying to see your way around the house, or if you're walking around outside, you, at least it allows you to see a little ways in front of you. If you have a powerful flashlight, it might, might help you to see, you know, 20, 30 yards ahead or something like that. But it's limited in its beam. It, the beam spreads out, but it doesn't give a tremendous amount of light or energy. Nevertheless, it does give some impact. It does have some impact. Now, let's compare another light source. A laser. The flashlight beam spreads out. It, it, it's kind of wide in its focus. It's not single. It's not wholehearted. The laser beam is totally different. The laser beam is very single in its focus. All the energy of the light is concentrated. Because of its concentration, because of its wholeheartedness, we'll call it, that laser light can shine up in the sky. A, a typical marker, one, one of these little laser uh, markers that you use for a board, of, you know, in a, in a classroom or something, some of those things can reach like 5,000 um, to 7 miles up in the sky. Some planes have been interfered with by people playing with those things. Um, a strong laser can bounce a beam right off the moon. A laser can cut steel. A laser can do surgery on a human eye. I had it done on mine, I know. A, a laser can perform you know, all kinds of services through, through um, you know, fiber optics and things like that. Uh, DVDs, CDs, all these things, lasers, on and on. There, there's so many uses for a laser. A laser can have so much impact. But what's the secret of the laser? Single focus wholehearted devotion. Here's the truth today that I want to close with. The God who loves us calls us to love Him with all, A-L-L, our heart, A-L-L, our soul, and A-L-L, our mind. Not because He needs it, but because we need it. And that's how, and that's the only way how we reach the heights of human development that God intended us to reach. 
we fulfill our potential and we leave this life having had significant positive impact and you want that and I want that and every human wants that but now you and I possess the key the Spirit of God has given us the key the only question left is will we use that key for the rest of our life let's pray FCF our Father and our God we so thank you that you have a a beautiful and a wonderful intention and destiny and plan and purpose for us. Thank you, our God, that your grace and your patience are immense, that no matter who we are, where we are, how far we have drifted, your spirit calls us. You welcome us back like the prodigal. You want to reinstate us and you want to put us on that path to the highest levels of development, fulfilling our potential and having lives of significant impact. May your spirit speak specifically to each of us, especially us that have not been recognizing these purifying trials that you have brought to our life to awaken us, to catalyze us, to purify us, to bring us to be wholehearted, fully human, fully alive devotees of you, Lord Jesus, our Creator, our God, our Savior, and our King. It's in your name I pray. Amen.